Section One of the Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume One A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis, Volume One A, Part One, Chapter One, African Servitude, A Retrospect early legislation with regard to the slave trade the southern states foremost in prohibiting it a common error corrected the ethical question never at issue in sectional controversies the acquisition of louisiana the missouri compromise the balance of power note the indiana case inasmuch as questions growing out of the institution of negro servitude or connected with it will occupy a conspicuous place in what is to follow it is important that the reader should have in the very outset a right understanding of the true nature and character of those questions no subject has been more generally misunderstood or more persistently misrepresented the institution itself has ceased to exist in the united states the generation, comprising all who took part in the controversies to which it gave rise, or for which it afforded a pretext, is passing away, and the misconceptions which have prevailed in our country, and still more among foreigners remote from the field of contention, are likely to be perpetuated in the mind of posterity unless corrected before they become crystallized by tacit acquiescence. It is well known that, at the time of the adoption of the federal constitution african servitude existed in all the states that were parties to that compact unless with the single exception of massachusetts in which it had perhaps very recently ceased to exist the slaves however were numerous in the southern and very few in the northern states this diversity was occasioned by differences of climate soil and industrial interests not in any degree by moral considerations which at that period were not recognized as an element in the question it was simply because negro labor was more profitable in the south than in the north that the importation of negro slaves had been and continued to be chiefly directed to the southern ports footnote it will be remembered that during her colonial condition virginia made strenuous efforts to prevent the importation of africans and was overruled by the crown also that georgia under oglethorpe did prohibit the introduction of african slaves until seventeen fifty two when the proprietors surrendered the charter and the colony became a part of the royal government and enjoyed the same privileges as the other colonies End of footnote. for the same reason slavery was abolished by the states of the northern section though it existed in several of them for more than fifty years after the adoption of the constitution while the importation of slaves into the south continued to be carried on by northern merchants and northern ships without interference in the traffic from any quarter until it was prohibited by the spontaneous action of the southern states themselves the constitution expressly forbade any interference by congress with the slave trade or to use its own language with the quote, migration or importation of such persons unquote, as any of the states should think proper to admit quote, prior to the year eighteen o eight 
during the intervening period of more than twenty years the matter was exclusively under the control of the respective states nevertheless every southern state without exception either had already enacted or proceeded to enact laws forbidding the importation of slaves footnote south carolina subsequently in eighteen o three repealed her law forbidding the importation of slaves the reason assigned for this action was the impossibility of enforcing the law without the aid of the federal government to which entire control of the revenues revenue police and naval forces of the country had been surrendered by the states Quote, the geographical situation of our country said mr lowndes of south carolina in the house of representatives on february fourteenth eighteen o four is not unknown with navigable rivers running into the heart of it it was impossible with our means to prevent our eastern brethren engaged in this trade from introducing them the negroes into the country the law was completely evaded under these circumstances sir it appears to me to have been the duty of the legislature to repeal the law and remove from the eyes of the people the spectacle of its authority being daily violated the effect of the repeal was to permit the importation of negroes into south carolina during the interval from eighteen o three to eighteen o eight it is probable that an extensive contraband trade was carried on by the new england slavers with other ports on account of the lack of means to enforce the laws of the southern states forbidding it and a footnote virginia was the first of all the states north or south to prohibit it and georgia was the first to incorporate such a prohibition in her organic constitution two petitions for the abolition of slavery and the slave trade were presented february eleventh and twelfth seventeen ninety to the very first congress convened under the constitution footnote one from the society of friends assembled at philadelphia and new york the other from the pennsylvania society of various religious denominations combined for the abolition of slavery and a footnote after full discussion in the house of representatives it was determined with regard to the first-mentioned subject quote, that congress have no authority to interfere in the emancipation of slaves or in the treatment of them within any of the states unquote. and with regard to the other that no authority existed to prohibit the migration or importation of such persons as the states might think proper to admit prior to the year eighteen o eight unquote. so distinct and final was this statement of the limitations of the authority of congress considered to be that when a similar petition was presented two or three years afterward the clerk of the house was instructed to return it to the petitioner in eighteen o seven congress availing itself of the very earliest moment at which the constitutional restriction ceased to be operative passed an act prohibiting the importation of slaves into any part of the united states from and after the first day of january eighteen o eight this act was passed with great unanimity in the house of representatives there were one hundred and thirteen yeas to five nays and it is a significant fact as showing the absence of any sectional division of sentiment at that period that the five dissentients were divided as equally as possible between the two sections two of them were from northern and three from southern states footnote one was from new hampshire one from vermont two from virginia and one from south carolina 
and a footnote the slave trade had thus been finally abolished some months before the birth of the author of these pages and has never since had legal existence in any of the united states the question of the maintenance or extinction of the system of negro servitude already existing in any state was one exclusively belonging to such state it is obvious therefore that no subsequent question legitimately arising in federal legislation could properly have any reference to the merits or the policy of the institution itself a few zealots in the north afterward created much agitation by demands for the abolition of slavery within the states by federal intervention and by their activity and perseverance finally became a recognized party which holding the balance of power between the two contending organizations in that section gradually obtained the control of one and to no small degree corrupted the other the dominant idea however at least of the absorbed party was sectional aggrandizement looking to absolute control and theirs is the responsibility for the war that resulted no moral nor sentimental considerations were really involved in either the earlier or later controversies which so long agitated and finally ruptured the union they were simply struggles between different sections with diverse institutions and interests it is absolutely requisite in order to a right understanding of the history of the country to bear these truths clearly in mind the phraseology of the period referred to will otherwise be essentially deceptive the antithetical employment of such terms as freedom and slavery or anti-slavery and pro-slavery with reference to the principles and purposes of contending parties or rival sections has had immense influence in misleading the opinions and sympathies of the world the idea of freedom is captivating that of slavery repellent to the moral sense of mankind in general it is easy therefore to understand the effect of applying the one set of terms to one party the other to another in a contest which had no just application whatever to the essential merits of freedom or slavery southern statesmen may perhaps have been too indifferent to this consideration in their ardent pursuit of principles overlooking the effect of phrases this is especially true with regard to that familiar but most fallacious expression quote, the extension of slavery unquote. to the reader unfamiliar with the subject or viewing it only on the surface it would perhaps never occur that as used in the great controversies respecting the territories of the united states it does not never did and never could imply the addition of a single slave to the number already existing the question was merely whether the slaveholder should be permitted to go with his slaves into territory the common property of all into which the non-slaveholder could go with his property of any sort there was no proposal nor desire on the part of the southern states to reopen the slave trade which they had been foremost in suppressing or to add to the number of slaves it was a question of the distribution or dispersion of the slaves rather than of the extension of slavery removal is not extension indeed if emancipation was the end to be desired the dispersion of the negroes over a wider area among the additional territories eventually to become states and in climates unfavorable to slave labor instead of hindering 
would have promoted this object by diminishing the difficulties in the way of ultimate emancipation. The distinction here defined between the distribution or dispersion of slaves and the extension of slavery, two things altogether different, although so generally confounded, was early and clearly drawn under circumstances and in a connection which justify a fuller notice. Virginia, it is well known in the year 1784, ceded to the United States, then united only by the original Articles of Confederation. Her vast possessions northwest of the Ohio, from which the great states of Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, and part of Minnesota, have since been formed. In 1787, before the adoption of the Federal Constitution, the celebrated Ordinance for the Government of this Northwestern Territory was adopted by the Congress, with the full consent, and indeed at the express instance of Virginia. This ordinance included six definite Articles of Compact between the original states and the people and states in the said territory, which were to, quote, forever remain unalterable unless by common consent, unquote. The sixth of these articles ordains that, quote, there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in the said territory, otherwise than in the punishment of crimes whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, unquote. In December 1805, a petition of the Legislative Council and House of Representatives of the Indiana Territory, then comprising all the area now occupied by the states of Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin, was presented to Congress. It appears from the proceedings of the House of Representatives that several petitions of the same purport from inhabitants of the Territory, accompanied by a letter from William Henry Harrison, the Governor, afterward President of the United States, had been under consideration nearly two years earlier. The prayer of these petitions was for a suspension of the sixth article of the ordinance, so as to permit the introduction of slaves into the territory. The whole subject was referred to a select committee of seven members, consisting of representatives from Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Kentucky, and New York, and the delegate from the Indiana Territory. On the 14th of the ensuing February, 1806, this committee made a report favorable to the prayer of the petitioners, and recommending a suspension of the prohibitory article for ten years. In their report, the committee, after stating their opinion that a qualified suspension of the article in question would be beneficial to the people of the Indiana Territory, proceeded to say, quote, the suspension of this article is an object almost universally desired in that territory. It appears to your committee to be a question entirely different from that between slavery and freedom, inasmuch as it would merely occasion the removal of persons, already slaves, from one part of the country to another. The good effects of this suspension, in the present instance, would be to accelerate the population of that territory, hitherto retarded by the operation of that article of compact as slaveholders emigrating into the western country might then indulge any preference which they might feel for a settlement in the Indiana Territory, instead of seeking, as they are now compelled to do, settlements in other states or countries permitting the introduction of slaves. The condition of the slaves themselves would be much ameliorated by it, as it is evident from experience 
that the more they are separated and diffused the more care and attention are bestowed on them by their masters each proprietor having it in his power to increase their comforts and conveniences in proportion to the smallness of their numbers Unquote. these were the dispassionate utterances of representatives of every part of the union men contemporary with the origin of the constitution speaking before any sectional division had arisen in connection with the subject it is remarkable that the very same opinions which they express and arguments which they adduce had fifty years afterward come to be denounced and repudiated by one half of the union as partisan and sectional when propounded by the other half no final action seems to have been taken on the subject before the adjournment of congress but it was brought forward at the next session in a more imposing form on the twentieth of january eighteen o seven the speaker laid before the house of representatives a letter from governor harrison enclosing certain resolutions formally and unanimously adopted by the legislative council and house of representatives of the indiana territory in favor of the suspension of the sixth article of the ordinance and the introduction of slaves into the territory which they say would quote, meet the approbation of at least nine-tenths of the good citizens of the same unquote. among the resolutions were the following resolved unanimously that the abstract question of liberty and slavery is not considered as involved in a suspension of the said article inasmuch as the number of slaves in the united states would not be augmented by this measure resolved unanimously that the suspension of the said article would be equally advantageous to the territory to the states from whence the negroes would be brought and to the negroes themselves the states which are overburdened with negroes would be benefited by their citizens having an opportunity of disposing of the negroes which they cannot comfortably support or of removing with them to a country abounding with all the necessaries of life and the negro himself would exchange a scanty pittance of the coarsest food for a plentiful and nourishing diet and a situation which admits not the most distant prospect of emancipation for one which presents no considerable obstacle to his wishes Unquote. these resolutions were submitted to a committee drawn like the former from different sections of the country which again reported favorably reiterating in substance the reasons given by the former committee their report was sustained by the house and a resolution to suspend the prohibitory article was adopted the proposition failed however in the senate and there the matter seems to have been dropped the proceedings constitute a significant and instructive episode in the political history of the country the allusion which has been made to the ordinance of seventeen eighty seven renders it proper to notice very briefly the argument put forward during the discussion of the missouri question and often repeated since that the ordinance afforded a precedent in support of the claim of a power in congress to determine the question of the admission of slaves into the territories and in justification of the prohibitory clause applied in eighteen twenty to a portion of the louisiana territory the difference between the congress of the confederation and that of the federal constitution is so broad that the action of the former can in no just sense be taken as a precedent for the latter the congress of the confederation represented the states in their sovereignty each delegation having one vote so that all states were of equal weight in the decision of any question 
it had legislative executive and in some degree judicial powers thus combining all departments of government in itself during its recess a committee known as the committee of the states exercised the powers of the congress which was in spirit if not in fact an assemblage of the states on the other hand the congress of the constitution is only the legislative department of the general government with powers strictly defined and expressly limited to those delegated by the states it is further held in check by an executive and a judiciary and consists of two branches each having peculiar and specified functions if then it be admitted which is at least very questionable that the congress of the confederation had rightfully the power to exclude slave property from the territory northwest of the ohio river that power must have been derived from its character as an assemblage of the sovereign states not from the articles of confederation in which no indication of the grant of authority to exercise such a function can be found the congress of the constitution is expressly prohibited from the assumption of any power not distinctly and specifically delegated to it as the legislative branch of an organized government what was questionable in the former case therefore becomes clearly inadmissible in the latter but there is yet another material distinction to be observed the states owners of what was called the northwestern territory were component members of the congress which adopted the ordinance for its government and gave thereto their full and free consent the ordinance may therefore be regarded as virtually a treaty between the states which ceded and those which received that extensive domain in the other case missouri and the whole region affected by the missouri compromise were parts of the territory acquired from france under the name of louisiana and as it requires two parties to make or amend a treaty france and the government of the united states should have cooperated in any amendment of the treaty by which louisiana had been acquired and which guaranteed to the inhabitants of the ceded territory quote, all the rights advantages and immunities of citizens of the united states unquote, and quote, the free enjoyment of their liberty property and the religion they profess unquote. state papers volume two foreign relations page five o seven for all the reasons thus stated it seems to me conclusive that the action of the congress of the confederation in seventeen eighty seven could not constitute a precedent to justify the action of the congress of the united states in eighteen twenty and that the prohibitory clause of the missouri compromise was without constitutional authority in violation of the rights of a part of the joint owners of the territory and in disregard of the obligations of the treaty with france the basis of sectional controversy was the question of the balance of political power in its earlier manifestations this was undisguised the purchase of the louisiana territory from france in eighteen o three and the subsequent admission of a portion of that territory into the union as a state afforded one of the earliest occasions for the manifestation of sectional jealousy and gave rise to the first threats or warnings which proceeded from new england of a dissolution of the union yet although negro slavery existed in louisiana no pretext was made of that as an objection to the acquisition the ground of opposition is frankly stated in a letter of that period from one massachusetts statesman to another quote, 
that the influence of our part of the union must be diminished by the acquisition of more weight at the other extremity Unquote. footnote cabot to pickering who was then senator from massachusetts and a footnote some years afterward in eighteen nineteen and twenty occurred the memorable contest with regard to the admission into the union of missouri the second state carved out of the louisiana territory the controversy arose out of a proposition to attach to the admission of the new state a proviso prohibiting slavery or involuntary servitude therein the vehement discussion that ensued was continued into the first session of a different congress from that in which it originated and agitated the whole country during the interval between the two it was the first question that ever seriously threatened the stability of the union and the first in which the sentiment of opposition to slavery in the abstract was introduced as an adjunct of sectional controversy it was clearly shown in debate that such considerations were altogether irrelevant that the number of existing slaves would not be affected by their removal from the older states to missouri and moreover that the proposed restriction would be contrary to the spirit if not to the letter of the constitution footnote the true issue was well stated by the hon samuel a foot a representative from connecticut in an incidental reference to it in debate on another subject a few weeks after the final settlement of the missouri case he said quote, the missouri question did not involve the question of freedom or slavery but merely whether slaves now in the country might be permitted to reside in the proposed new state and whether congress or missouri possessed the power to decide unquote. and a footnote notwithstanding all this the restriction was adopted by a vote almost strictly sectional in the house of representatives it failed in the senate through the firm resistance of the southern aided by a few patriotic and conservative northern members of that body the admission of the new state without any restriction was finally accomplished by the addition to the bill of a section for ever prohibiting slavery in all that portion of the louisiana territory lying north of thirty-six degrees and thirty minutes north latitude except missouri by implication leaving the portion south of that line open to settlement either with or without slaves this provision as an offset to the admission of the new state without restriction constituted the celebrated missouri compromise it was reluctantly accepted by a small majority of the southern members nearly half of them voted against it under the conviction that it was unauthorized by the constitution and that missouri was entitled to determine the question for herself as a matter of right not of bargain or concession among those who thus thought and voted were some of the wisest statesmen and purest patriots of that period footnote the votes on the proposed restriction which eventually failed of adoption and on the compromise which was finally adopted are often confounded the advocacy of the former measure was exclusively sectional no southern member voting for it in either house on the adoption of the compromise line of thirty-six degrees and thirty minutes the vote in the senate was thirty-four yeas to ten nays the senate consisted of forty-four members from twenty-two states equally divided between the two sections delaware being classed as a southern state among the yeas were all the northern votes except two from indiana being twenty and fourteen southern the nays consisted of two from the north 
and eight from the south in the house of representatives the vote was one hundred and thirty-four yeas to forty-two nays of the yeas ninety-five were northern thirty-nine southern of the nays five northern and thirty-seven southern among the nays in the senate were messieurs james barbour and james pleasance of virginia nathaniel macon of north carolina john gilliard and william smith of south carolina in the house philip p barbour john randolph john tyler and william s archer of virginia charles pickney of south carolina one of the authors of the constitution thomas w cobb of georgia and others of more or less note End of footnote. this brief retrospect may have sufficed to show that the question of the right or wrong of the institution of slavery was in no wise involved in the earlier sectional controversies nor was it otherwise in those of a later period in which it was the lot of the author of these memoirs to bear a part they were essentially struggles for sectional equality or ascendancy for the maintenance or the destruction of that balance of power or equipoise between north and south which was early recognized as a cardinal principle in our federal system it does not follow that both parties to this contest were wholly right or wholly wrong in their claims the determination of the question of right or wrong must be left to the candid inquirer after examination of evidence the object of these preliminary investigations has been to clear the subject of the obscurity produced by irrelevant issues and the glamour of ethical illusions end of chapter one Recording by Robert Hoffman.